that tribe is isolated. Then you have the aspect of um, Thai poaching um, and um, a ship running aground on that island. So we had to contact Thai poaching informants, former Thai poachers. What's going on over there is also a tragedy, and I didn't realize what was going on, but um, yeah, it's basically modern-day slavery. Jonathan Perry is a filmmaker, the youngest to ever sell a film to Amazon, and the first to make a film about North Central Island. You eat and you'll get shot, you sleep and you'll get shot, um, as far as off these ships with these fishing labor. Yeah, they take kids 16, 17 on these vessels, take their passports, and basically just use them as manual labor for like five years or even longer. That's if they don't get killed. I shot the film over the course of 30 days on that island. The way we had to pull it off was press releases, social media runs, posters did nothing. Did nothing yeah. to find. We found no cast and crew. Maybe one or two, but definitely not enough to even get started. And I had a broken kneecap at the time, which was also not great. Um, I, I saw the um, on, on the Instagram you had the brace on your uh, knee, which uh, I imagine wasn't wasn't very pleasant. Well, that happened probably like three weeks before shooting. Um, I had a helmet on, but I, I just went flying. Um, I, it launched me, and yep, yeah, landed on the kneecap, and um, just yeah and yeah then i had the brace on the island i i arrived on the island in a wheelchair jonathan my first question for you is this. When I was 17, I was up to no good. I certainly wasn't thinking about being the youngest filmmaker on Amazon Prime, let alone any other streaming services. So tell me about your early context. Tell me about those factors that were in place that led up to that moment for you to be able to say to Amazon Prime, Here's a movie. Um, yes, I would say uh, probably a lot of the building blocks when I was even younger uh, than 17, 16. Um, probably, I would say one of the elements is just Boy Scouts uh, going on that Eagle Scout path, kind of. That probably kept me in line enough uh, to where I could figure out what I wanted to do. And then... Um, as um, I started figuring that out, I was also one of the omens that probably came together with my later work is um, I did play a lot of video games. Yeah. Um, so much so where I was like, okay, it's probably about time to start thinking about college and yeah, what I wanted to do. And um, I knew I wanted to go into some realm of art, but I wasn't sure what. And then also... Um, what realm of art would be, um, you know, workable and also enjoyable in 10 years from then. Um, so I went through film and I chose that route. Uh, with that, I, yes, I 
ghost wrote for about three years online just flipping my short film scripts and that um, allowed me to learn the writing process and then also scrounge up a bunch of just enough money for Subnibian uh, and then yeah with Subnibian we filmed it in upper Michigan of the U.S. Uh, which uh, was definitely the hardest film I could have chose out of my writing portfolio uh, just because I wanted to do that. Uh, I wanted to present the largest challenge so I could learn the most from it. Um, really, um, yeah, yeah. Gather the most amount of uh, mistakes to learn from, but then also pull off something that um, would be very hard and very challenging. Uh, so, uh, that we filmed on an iced over pond. So we had like crew falling through ice on, I mean, we had safety protocols, but at the end of the day, when you have something like that, I, you, even the safety protocols can't mm -hmm. account for some things. So we had crew falling through ice. We had to build a lot of things. We had to have someone underneath the ice for like two minutes, uh, a diver. Uh, and then you have uh, a couple mountains to climb and, um, uh, literal mountains, um, and yeah, it, it was definitely harsh conditions, and that's what I kicked off my kind of career with, with a directorial debut in a way, and yeah, and then the producers just, uh, approached me afterward, and they're the ones that set up with Amazon, and we went through with that, um, it was definitely in the earlier, um, kind of days of what they were doing with independent film. Mm -hmm. At the moment, I think they detached from that more. Um, we were almost like the guinea pigs. They were more uh, reaching out to independent film and wanting it on their platform and kind of opening up to that because there is definitely revenue streams with that. But I think that they opened it up probably too wide after that, and they've started to narrow uh, that entry level for independent film uh, so it's interesting to see what they're doing as far as a platform goes but other than that yeah yeah what were the big things that you learned from Subnivian because that is when I think of first film I think something that might be produced in the basement something that might be produced out in the yard or in the local neighborhood I don't think of going to basically the arctic so tell me tell me what you learn. Um well yeah yeah I think it's just we had union crew um which of course they have a standard they're paid different and um they work differently. And then we also had students and we had also independents. Um so I got to see different workflows of um uh, just production crew mm -hmm. and then you got budgeting just really everything every aspect of film production um that was my starting inter introduction through it all post-production everything um the whole nine yards uh so it, it was definitely a lot of work um but it was just a steep learning curve really mm -hmm. um of course you then get introduced to film festivals and how those work and um I uh, definitely did a lot of things wrong with that film, but that warrants because it was definitely, yeah, it was my first film. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it it really just, and then also probably the pressure on set was a big thing that I learned on that one as well. Because uh, you are, no matter how large your crew is, you're gonna have those moments where it's. Uh, uh, some big decisions to be made uh, safety wise and um, filming wise. So, because mm-hmm. it's, I'm still still I'm still just getting over over the fact that your first film uh, that 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 you ended up selling was was literally Subnivian and in in the Arctic I'm still hung up on that point, which is uh, I I yeah. Um, so something I wanted to ask you there as well is you mentioned you're working with different types of crew uh you mentioned the student crew uh you've got union crew and, and the independent crew so as a layman what are those crews and what what, what did they bring to the table yes yeah, so union crew would work under a uh, union guild so they're mm-hmm. going to be paid you know uh usually way higher uh and they have a lot of standards and uh, rules for how they work mm-hmm. um, and sometimes they can't even work outside their union so they have to get approval um, and it really does well to give the the workers rights especially um, uh, I was on a reality show recently and uh, in the behind the scenes kind of working seeing how that's done and working with a line union crew they definitely have a lot of rights which is great um but then there's also a lot of drawbacks to unionization um because you know uh, you do have independent films as well that pay well and uh, you have to turn those down um so it's 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 interesting but um then of course with students you're coming right out of college and uh, it, what's very odd is that you'll find in actual film productions, they'll mention bringing a student in on board or something, and they'll be like, absolutely not. All they know how to do is set up a, they don't even know how to set up a C-stand. Um, they don't know the pressures on set. They don't know this. They don't know that. And I've seen that firsthand, and it is true in most cases, um, uh, so it's it's very odd. Um, schooling was very tricky for me because you know you got um, these schools teaching you about film production, but nobody wants to hire them in the industry. It seems um, from my experience and my kind of circle. Uh, so you have you have students as far as college students go, um, uh, but. Uh, we did hire them and they were, they were great. Um, and of course, then you have the independent industry, uh, folks that do do non-union may do union and in some other kind of uh, like grip aspect maybe. And, but they want to do cinematography, non-union, uh, that kind of thing. So, uh, it, it, it introduced me to that kind of realm of uh, film production crew and, um, yeah, yeah, the, uh, and also, you know, the workflows of union and non-union, uh, they, sometimes non-union works way harder than union because maybe union is just laid back and they're getting paid a really nice lump sum. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have 
30 years of experience. Um, so it's, um, it definitely makes hiring very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I must admit, I'm not well equipped to go much deeper into the difference between union and uh, <laughs> independent. I'm, I'm just a humble podcaster. I, I am. My apologies if I went too deep on that. I nah, uh, no, didn't realize where it's going. <laughs> um, so I'm all, all into sort of like the processes of how things go. And I noticed you describe yourself as a film director and a filmmaker on, on the press releases, on your Instagram or whatnot. So what do I need to understand about what you do and what that looks like? Yes. Um, I would say, I don't, I don't know if people understand how much work goes into the movies. I hope, I, I, I would assume they do. But mm. I, I look at movies today and I still I still look at them and I'm like, God, that took so much work and for like two hours. So sometimes I look at it like that and um, it doesn't make sense. But then other times it does, um, which is a lot of the time. But you have yeah, hundreds of crew working on something. Um, and as a director, also as a producer, um, you're having to lead all those crew and execute those deadlines. Um, but also you're bringing in as a writer, um, your original idea that may not turn after it goes through, uh, development, you lock in a script and a story, then you have to go through production, which, uh, the shooting phase that could change your story drastically, but the goal is to most likely keep it the same. And then you got post-production, which is likewise. Um, and so all of that, you're trying to keep your story the same uh, throughout the production process over the course of uh, sometimes years. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's, um, especially as a writer, director, producer, uh, I'm in, my hands are dipped in every single department, which is great, especially since um, I'm not choosing the, uh, for my educational route, I'm not choosing the film production kind of courses at a university. I'm choosing the film cinema history part uh, so that I can, uh, I mean, these productions will teach you everything as long as you do it yourself. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really kind of the role is just um, uh, taking it from script to screen and um, making sure it doesn't lose its characteristics along the way that you don't want it to. Mm -hmm. um, There's sort of, for want of a better phrase, the overseer, the, uh, the one making sure it all stays together. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Um, of course, there's people that double check me because um, I will make um, odd decisions here and there. But then um, those might work out in a later production. One thing I found is that pretty much every single thing I do in my kind of workload factors in beneficially sometime down the road, even though it doesn't. If I were to write um i don't know a 10 page backstory to a character 
Um, I'm probably going to use that in some way down the road, even though I don't realize it. Um, and so, it, yeah, it's just a, really the amount of hours you put into it that um, matters uh, with your turnout of quality, mm-hmm. m- like most things. But Yeah, no, fair dues. Because I must admit, as, as, as a layman, when I think of director, I think Steven Spielberg... I like a Steven Spielberg like character sitting on a fold out chair with a megaphone screaming action. I think you know the stereotype that I'm on about, right? I have a folded chair next to me. <laughs> what the hell for this episode? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's um one thing I didn't realize was how pricey they can get. It's it's a simple looking chair. I can slide it over. But these things are like um That's quite... the one. Yeah. <laughs> They're comfortable too. I haven't used one on set. Um oh I think I gave it to one of our makeup departments, but um I don't know if I could ever sit down on set. I don't... <laughs> Um, I do use a megaphone a lot. Uh, that yeah. is useful. It's so it's very useful. Um, I, I can imagine um, because obviously you got to get people. Um, you got to get you gotta let them know um, what's going on. Um, so let's talk about before we talk about Sentinelese, which is the 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 project that you're currently doing that's brought us together. Um, you also published uh, one of your films on uh, YouTube as well, uh, mm-hmm. Cookery. So introduce that one for us briefly and tell us why this topic of kind of, to avoid spoilers, keeping something a secret. Um, so Crookery, we, uh, after Subnavian, I, I, I might as well bridge the gap here. Yep. Um, after Subnivian, I, um, had a few family, uh, tragedies, um, and then, uh, moved out to California for about a year, um, to take up a, a gig with, uh, writing and directing, uh, game trailers, such as Call of Duty, uh, and various other action games, which is amazing because it yeah. kind of um, tied in my earlier uh, childhood of just playing video games, uh, which was great. So doing that um, uh, during the day and then writing at night, I wrote up Crookery, started on that right after Subnibian. Uh But I think we were set to film it in Miami uh, that didn't work out. We were set to film it in Atlanta. That didn't work out. The script changed a ton over a couple years, I believe, a year or so. Uh, and then finally, uh, after I got home from California, I think that's when around uh, COVID hit. And then, um, then you got a challenge of, oh, I, I'm I'm gonna make this film. It's slated for this date to film we're gonna film it then that's typically how the productions go it's like we don't know how we'll do it but it's gonna happen um and uh, so it was slated for the peak of covid and we decided to film it 
in my neighborhood town because um, if we think about it, I, that's where I know the most people. Yeah. As in, I can convince them a lot more than going into a random neighborhood and being like, hey, we're bringing in like 50 crew. In your eyes, it's going to look like a big COVID hazard. Uh, but yeah. in our eyes, we're doing all the precautions. We're working with the local um, health centers and the government to get this done to make it safe. But um, it would have a lot more precautions outside our neighborhood. So we filmed it in our neighborhood. Um, and, yeah, I just took over my neighbor's house. Um, we we had a lot of, let's say, union crew on that production. They worked outside of their union, but they... Since COVID shut everything down, productions, we got um, all the best, you know, of each department. Everyone in uh, the state of Ohio uh, that was the best of the best was like, hey, I'm not working. I Yeah, I can definitely help you with this thing yeah. um, out of their own time and at a lower cost for an independent budget. So um, we, we had so many blessings on that one uh, where... Let's say the costume designer had an entire warehouse and had like SWAT uniforms and um, props masters that would have an entire arsenal of weapons we could use. Um, so definitely a lot to play with there. Um, we shot that in 2.5 days, I believe, uh, that short. Um, and, yep, in my neighborhood. It ran remarkably smoothly after I kind of ironed out the, the kinks from some Nibian, um, and we had a lot of talented people that made that happen. Uh, and it does cover a home intrusion um, for and two intruders break in, um, and a father defends his home. Um, I I don't think I uh, he does use guns. One thing that's interesting I found with film festivals is I didn't intend on it having some sort of political anything political i don't know if people took it like that but i think people may have a little bit um as in like even just the aspect of a father defending his home um with a gun is interesting yeah even though um but yeah in in the film's eyes i never intended it to come off as that um but it yeah, yeah, it's just an action-packed thriller. I wanted to, t so I tackled some Nibian, which was kind of the Arctic environment, the winter environment, harsh conditions. Then I wanted to go indoors. That's the goal of this film. I wanted to see, okay, filming indoors is a different story. You got different audio, um, different cinematography. Uh, if you want to film, let's say, uh, two and a half days nonstop on end, um, you have to cover up all the windows and replace the windows of the house, the entire house, to conserve the lighting. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's one fun thing we had is you go into this house and it's complete. It looks like it's com it's nighttime in the house, but you come out and it's actually three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so it um, it was a definite interesting production and definitely the smoothest production I had thus far project and overall. Yeah. No, um, I just a line that you said there that I'm going to pick up on to that. I, that I very much relate to of going inside. Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate the outdoors. So if after some, some Nivian, I would be like, yeah, I need to go inside. Yeah. Um, 
but from what I pick up from watching like behind the scenes stuff on DVDs, uh, when I used to own DVDs and on YouTube and whatnot, is that particularly when shooting indoors or shooting anywhere, you need to have a lot of control over the environment. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's another thing is we did have a lot of control over the environment. Um lighting. Um what's super fascinating is like most of the time um, in these interviews for what, let's say TV shows, all the lights are replaced and they're controllable. And it's like super cool that they can just literally turn a house to, um, it at their whim yeah. of everything, small thing. So that was super interesting. And then, but then also you have a larger crew, um, uh, in a smaller house during COVID. So, uh, the main department we had was of course COVID and safety, um, and, uh, we did have people get sick off of production. Like they didn't even come to set yet. Um, I think our main challenge in, is that, which is, um, kind of a cakewalk for, for me. Cause, uh, after you, uh, yeah, after some, maybe, and it was kind of, uh, but our costume designer, I believe got COVID. She hadn't come to set yet. So we had to go get the costumes up like two and a half hours uh, through a snowstorm because we filmed this during the winter. Uh, I promised myself I went indoors because, yeah, I wanted to get outside of the elements. And um, here we have we have to go through the uh, the winter snowstorm to get these costumes at like three in the morning. And then, you know, I'm pulling an all nighter and then shooting the next day. Um, so that. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like that big of a challenge, but that was probably our, our biggest road bump, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think COVID as well, like, I know it's decimated a lot of industries, so I'm just really glad to see this, at least one little example in Ohio where we could at least keep the industry going just a little bit. Yeah, that's what was interesting is, like, yeah, you have every production shut down already at that mm-hmm. point. Um, and then we have our location manager that's trying to collaborate with the government and show them all the protocols we're taking. And really, it's up to the county and the police. But the thing is, we had the police in our film, um, which they were excited about. So yeah. we weren't shutting down. And they also saw the protocols we were taking. And as far as I know, no one got COVID from the production, which is great. Um uh, so, I mean, they're still taking, uh, COVID protocols in the U S I don't know how it is over in the UK, but I think that we kind of cleared up a little bit ago, um, for COVID kind of lockdown. Um, but you'll see the, the way you notice a film crew in public is that they're wearing masks, um, yeah. cause they're like one of the last lines that seem to be doing it. Yeah. I think over here we've had, um, it feels like the government just said it's over. And I want to avoid going into politics, but I think the mm-hmm. only places I've seen COVID precautions actually still in effect are healthcare places such as hospitals, GPs, and wherever. Yeah. I, I think I was on a production recently, and we did have people get COVID even though we were all wearing masks, which is mm-hmm. it's interesting. I Yeah, I think it's still going to be around, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, they... Uh, it definitely affected that industry majorly. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm glad it's up and running. Uh, let's move on from uh, from the depressing topic of COVID to actually what has brought us um, together um, today. So you've just finished, or I believe recently you finished filming uh, for your um, latest film, um, Centralese. So introduce that film for us introduce kind of its it, it, its concept and sort of wet, wet our appetite a little bit yeah yeah so directly after co- our cookery um i started working on sentinelese um i sentinelese is about when thai poaching slaves run aground on north sentinel island mm-hmm. an island in the andaman and nicobar um chain um so uh Really, it's under the insight of India, um, as far as that nation, but it is home to an isolated tribe of hunter and gatherers, one of the last on Earth. Um, and so, definitely not the easiest production to pull off. Mm-hmm. I think with Subnivian, um, I looked for the most challenging film I could make out of my scripts. Cookery, I looked to... Um, uh, really iron out the kinks of uh, production. This one, I think I went back to, okay, what's the most challenging film I can make? Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why, but it, it does. Um, that's just what I like. I, I really like not knowing how I'll do it. And then when I do it, I really like not knowing how I did it. Um, I, I don't know. But uh, Sentinelies. The research topic alone took us a year to get in contact with, because you have an island uh, in the Andaman Sea where um, it's over. Uh, anthropologists oversee it, but getting in contact with those anthropologists, yeah, took a, a year to do um, out of India, and they. I sent letters, emails, phone calls, everything. Um, and for a while, I didn't think I would even get in contact with them. I wrote up a script for Sentinelese, and then I got contacted by um, our anthropologist, uh, Edwardi, and he was the tribal director that oversaw every expedition to the island, every yep. friendly expedition, uh, most importantly. Um, so he led the expeditions, um, to North Sentinel Island, uh, where, yeah, they planted a couple, uh, coconut trees. They handed the tribe coconuts. They stepped foot on the island. Um, and yeah, yeah, before that they had a lot of, um, failed, uh, hostile, uh, contact with the tribe. Cause this is a, a native tribe of about under 100 for sure on this island where um, they're very hostile to outsiders. Um, And they had a a missionary go there one year and and get shot and killed, unfortunately. And um, there's... um, The the fascinating thing with this tribe is um, there are tribes on the chain of islands around it. Uh, those tribes do not speak the language. They don't understand this tribe. It's so isolated for so long, thousands and thousands of years, that the only real connection they have to the outside world, as in uh, anybody outside their island, 
is seen in, I think, some boars' blood markings on their bows and arrows, as in some type of religion um, which is connected to other tribes. Other than that, they're totally, they've totally been isolated, and that um, that religion connected to other tribes thousands and thousands of years back when they were once one tribe. Um, so that, not to go on a tangent, but that, that, that tribe is isolated. Then you have the aspect of, um, Thai poaching, um, and, um, a ship running aground on that island. So we had to contact Thai poaching informants, former Thai poachers, and really get the, uh, I mean, what's going on over there is also tragedy, and I didn't realize what was going on, but, um, yeah, it's basically modern-day slavery. Um, you eat and you'll get shot. You sleep and you'll get shot um, as far as off these ships with these fishing labor. Um, and, yeah, they take kids 16, 17 on these vessels, take their passports, and basically just use them as manual labor for, like, five years or even longer. That's if they don't get killed. So it's uh, from poor nations like Burma. So... You have that aspect that I, I had to get into and see videos of all the, you know, tragic footage of what goes on on these ships. But, um, yeah, that that's just another rabbit hole I went down for a good bit of time. And bringing these two together into a short film was also a challenge. Because, um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, with... So the research end was an immense challenge, and I've never done that much research for a film, at least. Um, and that's new as well, a learning process, um, uh, just con conducting all those interviews. Interviewing is hard. I, I give you props. <laughs> um, it, it's not easy to get information out of people sometimes. You know, I appreciate the acknowledgement there. Uh, but honestly, being the interviewee is scarier. Just literally is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few that are uh, usually if I'm not prepared or, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's really just it. But yeah. throughout the years, it's gotten a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I can totally understand why you might want to um, make a film uh, sort of about what's happening with Thai poaching, what's happening with slavery there. I can, I can totally understand that. But of course, I've got to ask this question. Uh, the, the people of North Central Island, they made it very clear to the world, and the footage is rather infamous, that they want no contact. So why make a film about them? Uh, yes. Yeah, so that's where it gets, it gets really interesting, and I'm starting to see... Um, what this film could do, as in, I I I had that research topic of North Sentinel, um, and there's no footage of the tribe close up. Luckily, I hope yeah. no one goes to the island and gets that. I hope no YouTuber just goes off and is like, "I'm gonna go to." That's horrible. Um, it's I wanted to get up close to the tribe uh, and get factual. Um, visualization because there is a lot of information online that is um, exaggerated and misunderstood. Um, just one example is like cannibalism. They're definitely not cannibals. Um, 
And so hearing that from the anthropologist, I presented them with all the research I did, just binders and minders. And I think we cut half of it down as far as just not even true. Yeah. Um, uh, but to a normal person, they wouldn't bat an eye. And um, so I, I wanted to not only get the first ever close-up visualization of the tribe in live action form, I wanted to get it right. I wanted to get this to show the real island, show um, not an exaggerated article. I want to show their mannerisms, uh, what we've seen from 1970s footage that's really blurry. Yeah. Um, and... Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, because I, I think there's a lot to learn from that. And there's even things while researching with the anthropologist that we would go back and see images or see um, archival uh, images of the props and the bows and arrows they use. And we discovered some things as far as how they're um, that the anthropologist didn't even know or, or pick up on when they were working on it. Um, uh, as far as the tribe goes, just certain small aspects of, uh, their clothing and stuff. So that was, that was fascinating to do. Um, and so hopefully this, this film, uh, and it, as it should give a, uh, the first ever accurate fiction, the up of what this tribe looks like, um, and, uh, how they act really. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's going to, uh, definitely give a different perspective of the tribe but uh, at the end of the day they're still hostile and yeah. Uh, yeah 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 i do totally agree that uh i do sincerely hope no one else goes there as well especially some kind of uh, uh jake pool-esque youtuber i think i think you know the footage i'm talking about yeah um sort of with with um with that uh so what were you mentioned some of the findings there um and and you mentioned the binder that was cut down uh in half by the uh experts um so you mentioned there that um they're not cannibals tell, 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 tell us more about uh about the people so uh the tribe of north sentinel is their island is limited to a population of no more than 100 for sure mm-hmm. Um, as far as just the landscape goes, um, they, the tree line is dense. Uh, the, uh, you can't really see into it from, of course, satellite. Um, and they basically live off of the coral reef around the island. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, of course, limited clothing. Uh, if you do search up some Id- images, there's probably a few that are likely to be um, accurate to the islands. There are a lot of, and same thing with the images. Yeah. You, sometimes you'll get a tribe in let's say Africa or some other part of the world. Um, that's often mistaken for North Sentinel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the tribe themselves are upon thousands of thousands of years in isolation. They uh, use bows and arrows. They have outrigger canoes, um, all things that we built for the film as well. Uh, 20 foot outrigger canoes, um, all out of wood and certain types of wood. Um, they, they are limited to the reef, which is an awesome aspect of the film. Um, as in their canoes aren't paddles, they're punts. They push off the coral, um, below which means that they are limited to the coral reef. They can't, like, paddle past it. 
Um, uh, and so, uh, yes, that's that's really kind of their circumference. Um, but um, then you have the uh, the islands around it and the poaching that goes on there. Um, and so if you want me to get into the Thai poaching as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, please uh, yeah. go ahead. So there, uh, if you think about it, international waters is pretty wild. Um, yeah. A lot more wild than I thought I, I knew about. Uh, you have independent contracting um, going on a lot with a lot of nations. Um, cargo ships just that are artilleries and... Um, whether it be military contractors or just armories, uh, floating armories on the water for rent by uh, uh, for any needs, which is wild. And then you have uh, Thai motherships that uh, serve, um, that kind of house the East Myanmar slaves that they pull from the nations, and um, also Thai poaching. So that's like a cargo ship as well. And then you have these smaller ships. Uh, that we see in our film um, that are sent out from that cargo ship of um, to fish the local waters of islands. Uh, so that will usually have a, a Thai poacher and a couple slaves on it. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we cover one vessel that uh, departs from the cargo ship um, and they're fishing around North Sentinel. So you have this really hostile tribe um, and these, uh, individuals that are legally in the, um, diameter of North Sentinel, they, I mean, they're definitely not supposed to be there. Um, North Sentinel, since it's overseen by India, it's mm-hmm. very illegal to go there. One of the, um, but you can get close to it, which is also in its own realm, uh, a crisis going on over there because you have kind of human tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's some regulations and proposal that might um, lower the restriction zone as in people can get closer or people can fly over it, uh, which is bad news because, you yeah. know, things can go bad there. Yeah. Um, but you also do want to encourage human tourism where people go out with uh, a telescope and try to get a look at the island. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, another, uh, as in, we'll get back to tying in North Sentinel with the tribe, but um, it, anybody that touches the island, um, we're talking about Europeans on America. Uh, or the U.S. when they landed here with the Native Americans, uh, they, yeah, it would be a tragedy because you got a bunch of diseases and um, that these this tribe is vulnerable to. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we we tell the story of when that high um, uh, sub ship just runs aground on North Sentinel, and you have these two people that are hostile. I mean, these Thai poachers are definitely hostile. And uh, it's just really interesting to see. It's the only excuse I could see fit. And it's happened before uh, where someone enters in the waters uh, and it makes sense. Um, I, I This is the first ever film done about North Central Island, uh, mm-hmm. actually executed. But I have heard rumors that something in France is being made as far as a film goes. 
Um, I think I've heard about the storyline a little bit. If it does get made, because um, I can I can tell them myself, it's definitely not easy to make it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think they have the research contacts that we do. So I'd be curious. And I'm sure there will be future North Sentinel Island films. Mm-hmm. But um, I hope that this one is uh, definitely at the forefront for accuracy and hopefully sets a standard for the future ones to do it morally in yeah. a way. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, as in, I hope, uh, I know that we definitely were not allowed um, to portray the try anything but hostile. Um, I think I've been, I, I think I saw some chatter uh, on the internet when we posted the poster that they're like oh it, it might be a little racist to call them hostile and i think i think i don't think people realize that a that we have the people that oversee the island on our team and then also it's kind of illegal for us to call them anything but hostile because you don't want to encourage people to go there and um you know see this tribe that would be bad news so it's it's good that the government is um getting the word out there about how serious this tribe is about the truth about this tribe. So that's, that's important. Yeah. Cause I could definitely see the kind of a little bit, I could see the arguments saying, well, why call them hostile? But I, I think that, like you said, there is, is weighted heavily against by, um, well, we need to leave them alone. Don't we? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's very true. So it's it's tricky because you also don't want to have a documentary crew going there. Or, yeah. Um, it's uh, the really the only solution I could see is yeah, making this film, um, and of course not making it on Norsen or anything <laughs> like that. I uh, we we shot down in the Caribbean, so we yeah. selected an island that was close to North Sentinel's aspect for at least a beach. But then we also had to find a um, a fishing trawler of the size we needed, uh, about a 100-foot trawler. And so luckily we got in contact with uh, Marine Assist over in St. Kitts and Nevis, a dual island nation, which actually was, I believe, connected to the U.K. Uh, and uh, British colonies at one point, uh, if I have my history correct. Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot, there's a few connections there. I think they bring it over crew from the UK actually, which is yeah. great for their productions. Um, and so we filmed it on St. Kitts and Nevis. We found a fishing trawler there, um, with the help of Marine Assist and, uh, that took, um, a good amount of time as well. So we have the research that probably took about a year, a little over it. Um, and then production, pre-production, we're filming in an island that's 30,000 people. Um, the likelihood that we're going to get, um, we're going to film probably one of the hardest independent films I've seen yeah. um, yet. Uh, getting engineers to build the canoes, getting the resources themselves, getting the crew of like a hundred people to just pull it off that are experienced in their own way. Um, 
getting a cast. Uh, you're talking about like 30, 10 to 30 um, half-naked people on a beach. Um, re-landscape that beach and then also redesign the vessel. How long, how long were you over there for? I shot the film over the course of 30 days on that island. Mm-hmm. We did pre-production for probably seven to eight months, which yeah. is a, lar- a long pre-production. Um, but yeah, that was needed because it works totally different over there. Um, we, the way we had to pull it off was press releases, social media runs, posters did nothing, did nothing to find. We found no cast and crew, maybe one or two, but definitely not enough to even get started. Word of mouth was, um, insanely effective on that island. It's, they're so interconnected down there that all us aspects of production that I learned about, um, went out the window. It was like, I had to start from scratch as far as my knowledge basis goes, Yeah, which, um, really sucked. But, um, with this Island, uh, yeah, word of mouth just got it done. I got our connections we needed. And then uh, we filmed it. Yeah. Uh, 30 days in the late summer. And I had a broken kneecap at the time, which was also not great. Um, I, I saw the um, on on the Instagram. You had the brace on your uh, knee, which uh, I imagine wasn't wasn't very pleasant. Yeah, yeah. That um, well, that happened probably like three weeks before shooting. Um, and I was riding home on my skateboard from the library at probably like midnight. And a skunk ran out and went underneath my um, electric skateboard wheel, skateboard wheel. I was going probably like 26. Um, I had a helmet on, but I, I just went flying. Um, I, it launched me and, yep, landed on the kneecap. And um, just, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a, I haven't broken a bone before, and I'm very squeamish, so that was, yeah. uh, um, I mean, that renders you bedridden for at least a week. Um, and, yeah, then I had the brace on the island. I, I arrived on the island in a wheelchair um, and the, and some crutches. And then by the time I was uh, going home, I was already, yeah, I was walking, which is wild. That's like... I think yeah. that's a way faster recovery period. <laughs> um, I, but the stress was so high on the island that it, it was the least of my worries. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because yeah. from what I can gather uh, from everything you said, this this wasn't a smooth filming process, was it? No, no. I mean, we're in a different country. Usually you have a fixer, which a fixer is someone that, is from the island that's in film production that knows all the adaptations you need to take on to bring in uh, a foreign film production. Um, people that don't know anything about the area or how the, yeah, we had a bunch of local crew uh, filming with us. And I think 95% of our crew is all local, which is great. Yeah. Um, but then you're also bringing in an independent film, that looks large scale. Um, and so we look like we have a lot of money Mm. and, um, people are also experienced at destination filmmaking where, um, you have union crews that are brought in with a lot of money. 
And um, so now you have an independent film that they haven't really seen before. Um, and it just looks like, and the the uh, economy is about to be like there's just free money out there uh, given, yeah. but that was definitely not our case because we had to take precautions, especially for independent film. Uh, we manage our budget a lot tighter, and we uh, really make the most out of our resources. Um, and you gotta have a lot of favors with the independent film and uh, collaborations to get the job done. So. Um, I think that we are mistaken there and we had, um, just a, uh, a lot of misunderstandings with uh, how things were run in the film. Again, you got some Nibian in the Arctic cookery indoors. Now I wanted to finally get out of the winter environment because I couldn't seem to escape it and get to the Caribbean. Um, and, <laughs> but then you have like heat and water aspects as well. So yeah. You're working with technology also, and you're around all this uh, salt water and sand and uh, heat environment. So it, it definitely took a toll on um, just the logistics of how do we keep the equipment safe. Yeah, because nobody would have thought any less of you. And I certainly wouldn't have done if you said, I'm going to do it on a sort of traditional soundstage. Well, I'm going to do it in the States where it's relatively safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've definitely got the whole, the whole nine yards on this. Yeah. It's it, for independent film. In some ways it's cheaper also to do it practically. Um, okay. And it definitely makes the CGI artists uh, feel a lot better when they don't have to um, compose a lot of those shots with like a giant ship or something. Yeah. Um, we already have that. So I found that in post-production, we don't have too much CGI, which is great. Um, and if it is, they can focus more on those shots and make it look like a, you know, a standard, um, you wouldn't be able to tell that it's CGI, um, as long as gives them way more time to work on it, just better all around. So, um, yeah, yeah, that, that practically is how I've always done it. And it, it works. It looks great on screen. Um, and this one definitely looks, um, yeah, it, it's one of those things where we, I have no clue how we uh, honestly pulled that off. So, um, You mentioned the, uh, and remind me again, what's the name of the islands that you ended up filming on? Uh, St. Kitts and Nevis. So that's a dual island nation. Um, they're, they're wonderful for, I, I'm, they're very early in their film industry. Um, they gave us a lot of incorrect paperwork when we were there, to be honest, uh, for filming, uh, which, um, it really tells us how early they are in their film process, but I think that they have a lot of potential. They have a lot of beautiful locations. They have a lot of enthusiastic crew. They don't have independent film too much on the island yet, or at least as far as other people are aware of. So I think that that will grow in the future. But I think that overall, yeah, they will, they will become a great film resource in the future. Mm-hmm. But for us, we are definitely the guinea pigs that um, went down there and, and shot it on that island. So, uh, But yeah, no, because look at the behind the scenes that you've got on the Instagram as well. It looks like at least the people that you had close to you, uh, it looks like they did the most amazing job. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, we 
in order to find crew, I mean, we couldn't find costume designers, but we could find seamstresses. We couldn't yeah. find um, uh, electricians, or, or we couldn't find uh, like gaffers and certain things. But we could find electricians. We couldn't find. Uh, we'd find the jobs that would train generally around that realm, and then train them. So we're also yeah. in pre-production training people, which was interesting because then. You know, I only know so much, so I brought in some industry contacts that uh, were in, like, unions and stuff that had a lot more experience than me, uh, and they were able to help train some people, so that was great. Um, And, yeah, then, uh, yeah, some of these people are learning on uh, just shooting day uh, how to do their positions, or um, and I think some of them really took a taking to it and yeah. would pursue that in the future with future films. Uh, so that's great. Um, for instance, like some of the crew were helping getting set up with their IMDBs and, uh, so that when films do come in, they can say, Hey, I worked on this film. So yeah. that's nice to know that, um, we can create some value there and help where we can. So I've noticed something, a theme that keeps coming up. Uh, and I've wrote this about three or four times in my notes. I've got four pages of notes now. And that theme is your unspoken reputation, your silent reputation. Um, happened in Somnivian, uh, happened with Crookery, it's happened uh, with Sentinel Lees as well. And by that, I mean you seem to have this ability to be able to spread the word and bring people together somewhat quickly um yeah i think i think that, that it does i have thought that too um because we're looking at a post crew of like 48 mm-hmm. which um a lot of people are like how on earth do you have a like why um but uh really if you have a great story um you can and other people connect with that story in their own way, you can, yeah, you can find anything you need, any resource you need, um, uh, and that's where it all starts. So that's that's a huge thing. And then also, I mean, really, uh, with each film, I have, I mean, you try probably a thousand people just to get maybe... 30 people interested and out of those 30 people 10 people are really experienced and out of those 10 people uh five people actually follow through with it so just statistically um to get all those crew i probably contacted thousands of people um and really it just comes down to the people that are and you do get really great people that come on board from that. Because um, we have, with independent film, we have certain regulations that we have to set in place because we're on a lower budget. We, we can uh, um, pay people only so much. Or sometimes we can't pay people, um, but we can do other services for them uh, and things. So that's that's really where the challenge also is, is like when you're working on a lower budget. Um, and hopefully with this, my next film, I, I shouldn't have to worry about that. Um, so, but yeah, with, um, getting people 
that's what probably separates our, or at least my films from student films, uh, is just the willingness to do that. Because when suddenly with student films, when everybody's wearing multiple hats, it doesn't come off that well. Um, but when everybody's doing their own department and doing their own specialty and devoting their artistic powers to what they care about in the film, it really turns out great. So um, that's, that's, and also you're networking uh, yeah. throughout that. So, yeah, I know you're speaking highly of a lot of people there. Um, I'm going to guess you had a lot of friends and a lot of groups out there support you as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, for, I mean, one thing that um, is interesting as well uh, with my previous films um, is that when my parents, uh, when I chose to do film, they didn't, they were like, okay, you can do it, but we're not going to give you a penny towards it. Yeah. Um, so um, I have had people like, oh, you'll, you'll, probably just uh going off of like funds from parents or funds from uh, grants or something but no this is like pretty much all self-built um and then but then recently i've started getting uh, uh various people helping as far as also main resources in films all come from usually businesses and stuff um that are like hey you can um borrow my snowplow for uh two days uh but uh for sentinelese we have marine assist that uh, was the actual ship that we rented and um then uh curilla trading and consulting services that was one of the businesses we encountered on the island mm-hmm. um and they had a lot of connections and were immensely helpful uh because I, I think on the island um, there are there were days that we were like definitely we had to either go home or find some way to uh, figure out this huge problem we had, um, and yeah, that that's where contributors or um, business connections really came in handy. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, so. I think I could probably talk to you all day. Uh, but I also know you have a life, unlike me, who doesn't. Uh, <laughs> so I finish every single uh, interview with the questionnaire. Uh, the questionnaire is the Prost questionnaire, which was later adapted by Bernard Pivot, uh, later by my hero, James Lipton. I imagine that name means something to you. And now I present my adaptation to you. What is your favorite word? I do like to... Uh, I, this is going to sound weird. Um, I do like to aggravate my girlfriend a lot <laughs> when I'm bored. <laughs> so, so I say the word moist a lot because um, she hates that word. And who doesn't? It's a horrible word. It is absolutely... Moist. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my pastime, and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair definitely. enough. Fair enough. Uh, normally, that's everyone's uh, least favorite word. So my second question is, what is your least favorite word? 
moist as well. It's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what engages you? Um, I would say in general, creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of... Uh, I think I spent so much time in my early... Uh, whether it be childhood or early career... Um, writing films, I didn't see enough films themselves. I I really didn't get out of the house much. I didn't explore. I really did just spend days and days uh, focused on making my own films. So I didn't get exposed to many too many art forms in that way. Or yeah. these, um, so I think a lot recently I've been uh, really engaged with uh, the different creative art forms there are. Um, I think I started watching a little anime recently, which is interesting, um, or, um, different art aspects of other states and stuff. So, uh, that's probably generally. And then with films, it's probably the story itself. I mean, it's the core foundation of everything. I mean, everything, like if you don't have a good story, you're not going to get far. Um, and if you do, it's definitely going to tumble. So it is, yeah, just the story, seeing the story and everything and revising, revising on that um, to get it to, yeah, yeah. I mean, usually when we're doing connections with film, the main thing I send people is the script. I mean, yeah. and the main thing they send back is, okay, I love the story. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I can spare uh, time or um, a couple resources to uh, help you out on this. So, yeah, that's pretty huge. Mm-hmm. What disengages you? Probably, um, I don't know. I um, I'm probably a workaholic, so mm-hmm. I, most scenarios where I'm not working, uh, I. I am disengaged from or wish I was. Yeah. Uh, so it can be a flaw. Uh, but yeah, that that's probably what it is. Not working. Yeah. No, I can totally, I can totally relate. And uh, I've got one to lecture on. Uh, you should take time for yourself because uh, so many times I've been up till three a.m. working on the working on this show, working on other projects. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. What sound or noise do you love? Probably certain types of um, cars are definitely great. Yeah. Um, I'm not too big into cars, but who doesn't like a revved engine? What sound or noise do you hate? Probably silence. If that counts. All right. Uh, question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Oh. <laughs> this is the one that means I have to take off, I have to put on the explicit tag on Apple Podcasts and go for it. Oh. Um, I honestly don't curse much. I, 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 definitely like been in offices where cursing has happened a lot and i'll like form to it mm-hmm. but then i 
Yeah, um, let me see. Definitely say shit a lot. I, I probably say that the most. I hurt myself so much during the day, just the average day. <laughs> like, I fall downstairs, I run into walls, stub my toe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I don't know. I Hand-eye coordination can be not great sometimes. So, <laughs> so uh, all those instances, you'll probably find me screaming that. Yeah, I think also it's wonderful kind of positive swear word as well. Like, you could say, oh, something is the shit. I don't know what it means over in the States, but over in the UK... If I was to say this post this podcast is the shit, I mean this podcast is brilliant. Yes, yeah, yeah. What's yours? Um, um, oh God, you're not meant to turn it on me. You're not meant to turn it on me. Um, oh, 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 oh! How dare you do this to me, Jonathan? Uh, how dare you? Probably bollocks. <laughs> Bollocks or fuckity? Because I can use fuckity and turn it into some other kind of word, and bollocks just kind of has a bit of charm to it. Oh, Um, yeah. yeah. Wait, what does bollocks mean? Um, I thought that was like a a darn it. uh, Yeah, kind of like a darn it. Um, Or if I use it in the phrase of the dog's bollocks, it's something that's really good. Um, Wait, what? Wait, the dog's bollocks? Yeah, Wait. the dog's bollocks. Google it. <laughs> it's um, it's a bit of a Cockney slang that's um, over in the UK. And um, yeah, uh, so it's the dog's bollocks. means it's good. Um, what else is there? I'm just saying bollocks in general. Something like see that car. It's dog's bollocks. Mm. I don't oh, know why. Yeah. Um... <laughs> It's the best, maybe, or no? Yeah, it's like, yeah. I get, yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I was not prepared to have my own interview questions turned on me. Um, so this is that, and we still got two to go. What profession, what profession other than your, than your own, own, would you like to attempt? I would say uh, it would have to be a ping pong player somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I think that that would that would consume my time. It, yeah, I don't know why. I'm good at it, and it does consume my time now. So, <laughs> yeah, that that's it's odd, but probably that. I've just had. I think it was it Forrest Gump and Tom Hanks that had. Oh, jeez, yeah, yeah. I yeah. just had that scene come to mind. Yeah. That... <laughs> That's that's how it is. It gets intense. Um, yeah. I mean, I've done tennis, and that's great. But ping pong is, I don't know. I have an arm's length advantage, so yeah. usually it goes a lot better. <laughs> what profession would you not like to do? Anything where I'm not really in charge of what I'm doing. As in, I don't know. I don't think I could ever... Um, work for someone, um, on a lower level in a way, mm-hmm. as in I'm, I couldn't do a job where I, is, everything's out of my control. Yeah. Um, where I'm at the whim of customer service in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done customer service in the past and 
<laughs> I am not doing that. <laughs> so it's uh, that's what I like about film. Even though it's everything's in my control, it's great. It's also can be a, a downside in sometimes. So, mm. um, but because at the end of the day, you can only do so much, and everything is in your control. So, yeah. um, that that's what I would say is anything where I can't be fully in charge kind of thing yeah yeah totally totally get that final question if you could say only one statement to any one person what would that statement be and who would that person be probably for the fun of it um chill lighten up my day um the word moist to my girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) so that she can slam the door on me and then uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that uh, that will get the job done to lighten up my day. Fair enough. We've we've had really deep, thoughtful responses, and you're the first person to answer moist to that question. <laughs> Thank you so much for this. <laughs>